Welcome to Dark Concepts, a supernatural horror podcast written and read by me, Brian J. Cummings. This is episode 8 of season 2. Yuletide greetings, everybody. Uh, after a little hiatus, I'm back with a surprise story just in time for the week of the winter solstice. But before I get started with the story, I just want to remind everyone that my short story collection, Dark Concepts Volume 1, is still available in ebook on Amazon and Kindle Unlimited. A physical paperback version will be paperback paperback version will be available soonish and once it's ready i will let you know um now a little word of warning before i get into this story it's not scary at all and uh yeah so uh but don't worry i'm gonna make up for it for some of the stories coming up in the new year most of these are gonna get pretty gnarly so consider this a breath of fresh air before we trudge into some very dark places so without further ado Here we go. Charlie Harkins hasn't been home in quite a while, so he decides to surprise his family with a visit home on Christmas Eve. However, he isn't anticipating on any of the surprises in store for him on this night. The Return Express 73-year-old Charlie Harkins waits in line, his ticket in hand. The black smoke billowing out the train smokestack blends seamlessly with the starless night beyond. Snow falls on the hopeful passengers, all clutching heavy coats and jackets, attempting to ward off the cold. Charlie steps forward as the line moves ahead, and he glances down at his old watch. Charlie, who feels the chill radiating through his bones, is anticipating a warm train car. It's been a long time since Charlie has been home, and Christmas Eve seems to be the best time to make it back surprising everyone with his return. Finally, Charlie trundles up to the counter. The woman behind it asks to see his ticket, and he hands it to her. She checks the information on the ticket and reads aloud, mostly to herself. Destination, Blacksgrove, Pennsylvania. December 24th, 1949. Train car D. Good for one passenger. She looks down at her papers and nods to him, in an assuring but sad smile. He turns and continues up the steps and onto the train. He looks down at his ticket and up at the cabins until he comes to his number, 412, and opens the door. He steps inside to find the cabin warm and inviting, slides the door shut, and sits on the bench seat. Well, old boy, we're finally going home, he says to himself, removing his shoes and leaning back onto the seat, hands behind his head. He leans to one side and gingerly pulls out his old battered leather wallet, out of his back pocket and flips it open. The faded black and white image of Lena smiles up at him. A smile he can only revisit in this well-worn photograph. She had moved on two years earlier, leaving Charlie to face the world alone. He weathered, just as he had always done. It was as he was looking at the photograph of his dead wife that the panicking thought hit him for the first time. Where had he been? He put the wallet away and stared at the ceiling, trying to remember. Oddly, he couldn't remember anything past waiting in line at the train station. Where was he even coming from? The question teased him, skittering around in his mind like a mouse inside of a wall. Was he going senile? Charlie had to admit he was never the sharpest tool in the shed, but this was something else entirely. He got up from the bench seat when the train let out a loud whistle and then jolted to life, moving towards the destination, towards home. And that's all that mattered in the end. 
After a few moments, he decided to leave the cabin and walk around the train a bit. It was oddly quiet, save for the rumbling of the wheels on the track. He soon met another older gentleman who briskly walked by him and didn't even meet his eyes. Several more people he met didn't seem to notice him. He thought about going back to his train car to avoid these rude strangers when someone tugged on his jacket. He looked down to see a little girl, possibly nine years old. She was wearing a red dress and her blonde hair was in pigtails. You're coming to Philadelphia too? She asked. Charlie looked around for an accompanying adult, but saw none. No, dear, I'm actually heading to Black's Grove, but it's nearby, he said. She studied him for a moment. You're not like the others, and I didn't see you when we got on board on Grand Central Station. I must have boarded at the station after New York, he told her, confused because he thought the train was nearly empty when he boarded only moments earlier. He didn't know where he had boarded from, but he knew for a fact the little snowy outpost in the middle of nowhere wasn't New York City. He surely would have remembered stopping in Grand Central Station. What's going on here? He thought, feeling the rising panic settle upon him again. You have parents on board? He asked her, changing the subject, and she shook her head. I'm going back home to see them, she said confidently. I've been away for quite a while, living with my grandmother. They're going to be so excited to see me. Before he could remark on how peculiarly similar their situations were, the train's brakes began to screech, bringing it to a sudden stop. Charlie braces himself against the wall and peeks outside the window, but sees only snowy darkness beyond. The train whistle blows, and he looks down to the girl. She wishes him a good day and leaves, though their strange meeting has left him with more questions than answers. He begins to feel uneasy again and goes to find someone with the train service to get some straight answers. Charlie follows a growing crowd of people toward the exit of the train and sees one of the staff standing outside the doors. He steps outside and as he does so, he finds himself suddenly alone in a snowbank. Turning back to get back onto the train, He finds that he is standing outside the train station, the Black's Grove train station. How? He wondered aloud, standing dumbfounded amidst a crowd of people jostling around him. He could still see the train and the smoke billowing out from the engine, but he has no recollection of speaking to the conductor. Now he knew he was losing his mind. His heart began to pound as he glanced around the familiar landscape, not understanding how he had arrived here. Several cars cruised by on the snowy road in front of him, their tires kicking up snow as they went. He checked his watch and managed to make out the time. 7.39. The only good thing about this whole situation was that he was back home. Home at last after all this time. And because he was home, he knew exactly where he was to go first. His son Robert's house. As he walked, he felt the sudden compulsion to pull out his wallet again and look at his wife's picture. Had she still been here... She would have kept him straight. With her still by his side, he wouldn't have found himself in this peculiar mess. He trundles down Main Street towards Willow Avenue where Robert lives, weaving around the other pedestrians. Everyone these days are so much in their own heads they can't be bothered to at least move aside for a struggling old man in the ice and snow. Up ahead he sees a familiar face. George Burton, the barber, was standing across a busy street talking to a police officer. 
Charlie meanders as best he can around a passerby and steps to the edge of the sidewalk. George, he calls out to him over the din of the crowd and the passing vehicles. George doesn't even look in Charlie's direction. So Charlie steps off the curb. George, George! He attempts again, but the sight and sound of an oncoming truck catches his attention, and he slides backwards, falling into a snowbank behind him as a truck speeds by, not even touching the brakes. Sheesh, he grumbles, picking himself up off the snow, feeling stupid for stepping out into the road. It was his own stupid fault, he guessed, as he patted himself off and decided he'd be better off to speak to George some other time. He was mulling over the entire ordeal in his mind when he came to Willow Avenue. Looking both ways, he crossed over to the side where Robert's house was on, haphazardly navigating around another snowbank, and got onto the icy sidewalk. If I keep going on like this, I'm going to break something. Then I'll have more problems than just my memory, he thinks, taking slow and careful steps until he sees Robert's two-story white house up the street. He walks through the snow, the feeling in his feet starting to fade as the cold settles through his thick boots. He trudges up the long walkway past the wrought iron gate that was still leaning. He told Robert to fix that before he got back. Feeling his heart pounding dangerously in his chest, he stops. The windows were blacked out. Where had everyone gone? He thought to himself. There was only one last place to check, and it was just a street away. His son Terrence. He stumbles through the snow yet again, wishing now he had just ruined the surprise of him coming back and calling ahead for a warm car ride. Soon Charlie could just make out his youngest son's house and was relieved to see it brightly lit. He slogs onward, and soon he can make out people inside. As he reaches the small wooden gate leading up to the tiny house, he can already see the smiling faces of his family. His two sons, Terrence and Robert, sitting at the kitchen table, their wives at their side, all drinking wine and laughing. His panic falls away as he moves closer and closer, finally reaching the front gate. He walks up the walkway and sees something jet around the corner of the house, causing his heart to skip a beat. He smiles when he sees Riley, Terrence's chocolate Labrador retriever. Riley jumps up on him excitedly. His tail wagging causes his whole body to wag along with it. Riley's muzzle has whitened considerably since the last time Charlie had seen him. But Riley seems to still be the same excitable dog he's always been. Down, boy, down, Charlie whispers, laughing as the dog jumped up and licked his face. He made his way around the dancing dog and finally made it up to the front step, where Riley sat beside him, tail still thumping in the thick snow. Charlie lifts his hand to knock, but as he does so, he feels Riley's paw hit his leg. He looks down and sees the dog now looking at him with a meaningful look. He whimpers. Charlie pats him on the head and goes to knock again, but Riley paws him a second time. Charlie ignores the dog this time and proceeds to knock. Nothing happens. Charlie knocks louder. He listens hearing his own knocking, and notices that they aren't listening to loud music, and in fact, Charlie can hear them laughing about something. He pounds, this time, almost angrily. He hears a chair being pushed away from the table, and he steps back as footsteps approach the door. He smiles and holds his arms out as his son Terrence opens the door. Terrence stands in the doorway, looking right at Charlie, but his face doesn't show any sign of surprise or shock. He doesn't show any sign of anything, really. 
He seems to be looking around Charlie, or through him, at the outside. Terrence looks down to see Riley sitting there and moves out of the way for the dog, but he remains seated at Charlie's side. Suit yourself, Terrence says, and looks around one more time, an odd expression on his face as he closes the door, leaving Charlie standing there with his arms outstretched. He lowers them, numb. What just happened? What's going on here? Was this some kind of joke? Was this a dream? A nightmare? He prepares a pound again, thinking about breaking down the door if he must, but the paw hits his leg again. He looks down to see Riley whimpering now. He barks, and then begins to run off down the pathway. Where are you going? He calls after the dog, and watches as he disappears into the night beyond the front gate. Charlie feels the need to follow the dog, and though he has lost sight of him, he can hear his barks echoing through the night. Riley, get back here, he calls out, following the dog up and around the street, toward the old churchyard. He stops at the open cemetery gates and catches his breath. The dog is sitting inside the gate and wagging his tail excitedly. I'm not going to chase you all over town, Charlie said, grumpy now, as he steps over a snowbank and beyond the gate. The dog bounds playfully away, taking him further and further into the cemetery. The dog stops at a nearby stone, a familiar stone. He notices Riley is stopped near Lena's grave and his breath catches. He staggers over the snow, his breath coming in heaving gasps and fogging up in his face as he takes his cap off and puts it to his chest, approaching the gravestone. His hands are shaking. The sight of Lena's tombstone always stilled his heart. But this night, it also caught his breath. The name Charlie Harkins is inscribed on the stone beside his wife's name, as it did before on the wide, dual-sized tombstone the two had chosen to be their marker. But the date of death on the stone had been carved in. The date was today, December 24th, 1949. Charlie takes a staggering step back. No, he gasps, his foot slipping and sending him to the ground. No, no, no. This had to be some sort of trick of the light, a momentary lapse of sanity. He had to be going mad. This couldn't be so. This couldn't be so. He falls backward into the thick snow, trying to put as much distance between him and the lie on that cold tombstone. Tears begin to well in his eyes as his warm hand falls gently upon his shoulder. He turns in the cold numbness he felt, swells instantly into sheer joy at the sight of the smile that he thought he would never see again. Lena was standing above him in the snow. She helped him up and brought him into a hug, and with it, the entirety of his being felt a warmth run through it as though he were home again, sitting beside the fireplace, the two of them as they always did on the cold winter nights. Riley sat nearby, his tail thumping into the ground, looking up at the two of them. "'What's going on?' Charlie asked, sniffing back a sob. I've been waiting here for these two years. She looked into his eyes. Your passing was so sudden. It happened in your sleep. You woke into the next world without realizing that you hadn't even passed. I don't understand. I was just away. The train. It brings back to us the lost souls we wished to see. It was I that wished to see you. 
to bring you back with me finally to the other side. It's a wish for the departed to find their way back to the light. You no longer have to wander in confusion. You can finally come home with me, Charlie. It was then that a blinding light appears suddenly over the horizon, and Charlie instinctively takes a step away, but Lena holds firm to his hand. That familiar feeling spreads through him once more. He is scared, but that warmth, her warmth, was everything he had ever wanted, ever needed. Don't be afraid now. You have nothing to fear, darling, she said, walking towards it. We're finally going home. Charlie looked at her, then at the horizon, the light, the light that seemed to go deeper and deeper, stretching onward into infinity. He took a shuddered breath and looked down at Riley, who was still sitting there, his tail thumping against the ground. He crouches down to give the dog a hug. Riley seems to lean into it until Charlie releases him and pat him on the head, tears in his eyes. You be a good boy now, he said to Riley, standing up and walking now with Lena. He stopped and then took off his watch. I guess I won't be needing this anymore, he said, clasping it around the dog's collar. He turned away from the old pup and walked with Lena into the now fading light. Riley watches until the two vanish, and the light turns back into a snowy, starless night. He pads out of the graveyard, back down the street towards Terrence's house. He passes the gate and plods up to the front door where he sits and paws it to come inside. Terrence pushes himself away from the table once again and crosses the dining room, and opens the door to find his dog ready to come inside. Hey there, Riley. Come inside and get warm. He glances down to see something shiny attached to his collar. Hold on there, what's this? He says, taking hold of the dog's collar. Terrence stares at it, recognizing it immediately. Riley sits there, panning and lets out a short, reassuring grunt. Terrence pulls the watch off, speechless as to how the dog got the watch, let alone how it ended up strapped to his collar. The watch had disappeared right after his father died. They had turned his house upside down looking for the old watch. Riley makes his way into the sitting room and lies down beside the fire while Terrence, still astonished, shows his brother the watch. Before falling asleep, the old dog glances out the window at the emerging stars twinkling to life beyond the retreating clouds. If you ever wanted to start your own podcast, I'll say from personal experience, Buzzsprout is a great way to go about it. I've been with Buzzsprout from the start and extremely happy with the results. If you're like me and don't know the ins and outs of anything having to do with a podcast or what you need to start one, they'll definitely have you covered. They have tons of resources to help you get your ideas off the ground. Two of my favorite features are the analytics on the podcast webpage and how seamless it is to place audio players of my episodes into my Squarespace website. Following the link in the show notes below, let's um, Buzzsprout know I sent you. Get you a $20 Amazon gift card and help support the show. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, share it, leave a like, a rating, a review, and subscribe if you so desire. To explore these concepts further or just keep up on... Blah, on what's happening with the podcast or any of my written works, brianjcummings.com is a great place to connect and learn more about what's going on behind the scenes 
as well as read the stories in a type format. I am also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I release a two cents horror story. My short story collection, Dark Concepts, is available in ebook format on Kindle. That link is below. I shall return in two weeks' time with another tale channeled from the darkness of the witching hour. So until then, keep a candle nearby. Because you never know when the lights will go out. So he decides his... Motherfucker.